Um, as Pastor Kyle has been teaching us the last few weeks, there is a grand purpose for us looking at the signs and wonders of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And so we see that in John chapter 20, what the purpose is for us looking at these uh, wonders the last several weeks. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that's been given to us. And just like the Apostle Peter said, we believe that these are the words of life. I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word today, that you would give life to us, that there would be an encouragement. Uh, Lord, I just pray that everything that I say today um, would not be of my own, but of your Holy Spirit's guidance. Do what only you can do today, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Something very important that's happening this week. meeting at the library in Bluffton, Thursday at 6 o'clock p.m., and uh, it's going to be so uh, such a big event uh, for the foundation of our church. So two ways that you can help us with that. You can still help us in two ways. The first thing is praying. Please pray that God would lead individuals, lead families to this meeting. Uh, we're going to be talking about who we are, how they can get involved to help start this church. So please pray for us this week that God would draw individuals to that meeting. And the second thing that you can do is invite people Okay, if you have Facebook, invite them that way. There's an event on Facebook, but also call friends, call family. Um, do whatever it takes to get them. Even if that means you coming with them on Thursday night at the library. Hey, you get a free dinner. Okay, uh, so please help uh, us invite people and pray for us uh, this week. We believe that God's going to bring so many people there and it's going to be such a, a great time for the beginning uh, momentum of the start of this church. So, um, but back to the passage. We see in John chapter 20 that these miraculous signs were written so that we would truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Son of God. You ever, you ever wonder what it would be like, right, if you were there? Um, to see all those miraculous signs that Jesus performed. What would it be like if you were a witness? And I'm thinking, like, what, what would it be like if I was there, you know, during the feeding of the 5,000 or, or seeing Jesus heal the paralytic man? And I'm thinking, you know, I, I honestly don't know what my response would be other than just, like, my mouth being wide open and saying, wow, how did he do that, you know? Um, just an incredible, uh, incredible miracles that we have been going through the last few weeks and that we're going to uh, be continuing today. But this morning, we want to focus on the miraculous sign of Jesus walking on the water. And that's found in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 22. We're going to read that in just a moment. But it's also found in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. And so I believe today that as we're going through these accounts, not just in John chapter 6, but also in Matthew and the book of Mark, I believe that there's going to be this beautiful canvas being painted for us in these three accounts of to see who Jesus truly is. Who is Jesus? 
So I want to begin this morning by talking about the setting of the miracle, the setting of the miracle. Last week, Pastor Kyle uh, teached and he preached on the feeding of the 5,000. And so as a response to that in John chapter 6, when the people saw him do that, this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Wow, guys, listen to what happened. They tried to take Jesus by force. They tried to take Jesus by force to make him the king of Israel, their own nation. Pastor Kyle touched on this last week because it came right after the feeding of the 5,000. Have you truly, have we kind of truly thought about the, the magnitude, the gravity of this moment, of this scene? I know there's only one verse that kind of tells us, a couple of verses that tells us what's happening here. It's the only account in, in the gospel found in John of the fact that Jesus, the people were mesmerized at what Jesus had done. And, and their only response was the crowds, they wanted to forcibly take him to be the king. Um, they were going to take him by force. But, you know, they didn't realize that Jesus didn't need an earthly throne. He didn't need an earthly title or even a political position that they were going to try to force him to do. He didn't come down to earth for that initially. So Jesus withdrew to the mountain to pray. Listen to what the Gospel of Mark tells us about this. Immediately after that, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across to the lake Bethsaida, where he sent his people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Guys, there were such serious implications, such serious and dangerous consequences that could come of his own disciples succumbing to the pressure of the people to try to take Jesus and force him to be king. But listen, listen to what it says here. That Jesus insisted that his disciples get back onto the boat and head across to the lake. He insisted. Other translations say that he made them get back onto the boat. Or that he strongly compelled his disciples to get back onto the boat. It was that serious. Guys, it wasn't part of his mission. It wasn't part of his plan to be the king of Israel right then and there. So Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. And so that's where we are right now. Let's read John's account in John chapter 6, verse 16 through 22. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he came out to them. Do not be afraid. I am here. And then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Let's, t let's talk a few moments about what had just happened here. Lots of events. So last week we learned about Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000 just a few hours before this event. 
And there was this big following that were mesmerized. They were just shocked and in awe at Jesus's power and authority to perform these miracles. And they wanted to crown Jesus king right then and there to restore political and religious power to Israel, their nation. They wanted to conquer their enemies through Jesus because they believed that Jesus was the prophet that was going to restore all these things. But what happens next? Jesus rejected that political and earthly title. And so he went away alone to a mountain to pray. And then his disciples get onto the boat and they get impatient and start heading uh, to the other side of the lake. And shortly after, so at this very setting of the miracle, a raging storm comes in the middle of the night threatening their lives. Has anybody here ever been uh, driving in a storm? Yeah, seen your fair share. How about driving uh, during a raging thunderstorm in the middle of the night? <laughs> Just the worst thing ever, right? Um, I mean, there's, you can hardly see the lines on the road. Um, it's, it's just probably the worst predicament, the worst thing that you could drive in. Um, even though we're, we're in a covered car, we have headlights, you know, we have windshield wipers that, you know, work most of the time, right? Um, but it's still just kind of the worst, the worst time you could drive. I hate it. All right. Um, but the disciples had none of that help. They weren't in a covered boat. They didn't have headlights, and they didn't have windshield wipers to keep the rain, you know, out of their face. And so when, when you look at the predicament they're in, it was just bad, okay? And then where were they at? They were in the Sea of Galilee, all right? There's a picture there uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and there's, there's hills or mountains on each side of it, all right? When you look at the Sea of Galilee, we see that it had the perfect atmosphere and location to create storms, the Sea of Galilee is, in fact, if, I don't know if you knew this, but it's, in fact, the lowest freshwater lake in the world, six to 700 feet below sea level, and it was surrounded by mountains and in a valley. So it was very common for violent winds to blow through the valley and for storms to just kind of pop up because of the geographical location that they were in, and it still happens today. So cool air would come down from the mountains and would meet the warm air of the water and create a storm. And so that's exactly what's happening uh, at this moment with the disciples. The disciples were getting nowhere fighting this violent storm. And they were in pitch black darkness. Think about the, that for a moment, the roller coaster of the events and how the disciples were feeling. Okay, everything was going great just a few hours before the feeding of the 5,000. They witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle with healing the sick. And now they're fighting for their lives about to drown. And let's also think who's in the boat. Okay, we're talking about Peter. We're talking about Andrew. We're talking about James, John, all the disciples these were the men that were going to start the church. It was all about to end. Crazy. They were fighting for their lives. 
The two other accounts in Mark and Matthew help us see that they had been out there for three to four hours getting nowhere, fighting against the wind and the waves at their wits end. But I want us to look at the book of Mark and this account and see something else that's going on. Why they're fighting for their lives, why they're scared, getting nowhere. The book of Mark, chapter 6, 47 and 48, says, Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. And he saw, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the waves. I want to stop there. When you put all the accounts together of the Gospels, we see that the disciples were three to four miles away from land, fighting against the wind and the waves, struggling in a windstorm in pitch black darkness. When that's happening, Jesus sees them from the mountain he's praying on. Jesus sees them three to four miles out in pitch black darkness. He locates exactly where they are in the middle of the sea. Incredible, right? In the middle of the night, Jesus knows where they are and he sees them in their despair. That really speaks to who Jesus is. Listen to this. No matter the distance or the darkness, Jesus sees us. He sees you. He sees us in the storms that we're going through. King David knew that when he wrote Psalm 139. He says, if I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light to be around me to come night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. The darkness and light are the same to you. Guys, Jesus being the son of God, he is the one who truly sees us. No matter where we are, no matter how dark the night, no matter how rough the storm, he sees us because he's the son of God. He knows our struggle and sees exactly where we are. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus being the son of God, listen, he is omniscient. That means he knows all. He sees everything about us. He knows the storms we're going through, and he sees us while we are going through those storms. Did you know that no matter where we are, there's always a set of eyes on us? There's always a set of eyes on us, aware of our every move. And have you ever realized how many times that we're being photographed or videotaped throughout the day? All right. According to a recent technology article, an average American citizen can be caught on camera more than 75 times in a day. You probably don't even notice that it's happening, right? From your neighbor's home surveillance to traffic cameras to hidden lenses throughout an office elevator. I mean, consider the cameras back here in this room, right? They're, they're probably just for church, right? At least, you know, that's what we're told. Yes, okay. I'm not trying to make you paranoid here. Um, but, but tracking our whereabouts isn't hard, right? 
according to the recent advancements in technology and surveillance. To come to think about it, it's probably being researched more and more on Google because of the Chinese spy balloon, right? <laughs> who, who, who followed a little bit of that? Uh, you know, um, while, while all of this information really doesn't bring us much comfort today, right? The fact that we're being watched by governments all around the world, all right? But it, listen, it should bring us phenomenal comfort to know that Jesus always watches over us. He sees us. He sees you. No matter the distance, no matter the darkness, he knows what's going on in your life. He watches over us. There's not a place that we could escape from his sight. He's always watching over us. Nothing happens to you that he does not see. Before we get to the miracle, there's one other thing I want to point out. I know, I know we're kind of eager to get to Jesus walking on water because that's when the deliverance happens, right? That's when the excitement happens. No more storm, right? We get to the calm. We get to the peace. It's natural for us in our lives to want to get out of the storm, right? But I believe many of us here today are still in the middle of the storm. They're still going through something that's real, that's dark, that's deep, that's fierce. And you're wondering, you know, when is that going to end? When is the deliverance going to come? And so listen to this, though. What is Jesus doing during the time frame his disciples are fighting against the wind and the waves? They're fighting for their lives. What is Jesus doing besides seeing them from the mountain? What is he doing on the mountain? The Gospel of Mark also says that he not only sees them, but he's praying on the mountain. Jesus not only knows what we're facing and sees us in the middle of our storm, listen, but he's praying for us. He's praying for you. He not only sees you where you're at, but he's but he's lifting up intercession to the Father for you. He's praying for you. Deliverance might not come yet, but know that Jesus is making intercession to the Father on our behalf right now. Romans 8.34 says, Jesus Christ, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. Is also interceding for us. He's before the throne of God interceding for you. Robert Murray McShane, a 19th century Scottish minister, said this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the room next to me, I would not fear a million enemies. Listen, but the, the distance makes no difference. He is still praying for you. Isn't that encouraging to know that Jesus not only sees you with where you are and what you're going through, but he's actually praying for you. He's lifting up your needs before the Father. Let's look back at what the disciples are doing at this moment. They have been rowing and struggling against the wind and the waves and their little boat for hours in the middle of the night. And there's no Coast Guard, right? There's no cell phones. There's no other boat that can tow them to shore. They really don't have any help at this point. And you got to wonder if you know, what's happening, or are they getting discouraged? 
Are they distraught? You know, you got to wonder, are they arguing between one another? Like, man, if only Jesus had been here, right? If he had been here with us, none of this would have happened. You know, if I wish we wouldn't have, you know, been so impatient and waited for Jesus to come back to the boat, but they started without him. So, you know, they're in big trouble. They're in big trouble. And so, he had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish just a few hours ago and healed many sick before that and done so many other miracles. And now they're without him. And it seems like without hope, without a chance for deliverance. And it's at that moment, at that moment, Jesus shows up. And he not only performs one miracle, but he performs at least three miracles we see in this passage. And so I want to talk about that the next few moments. He does at least three miracles. The first one is that he walks on water, found in John chapter 6, verse 19. The second, he calmed the wind after getting into the boat in Mark chapter 6, Mark's account. And then in, in John chapter 6, verse 21, the third one is we see that immediately he takes their boat from the middle of the lake to the shore. Um, has anybody ever been able to do any of those things before? <laughs> anybody here walk on water, you know, transport their, their vehicle from, you know, the middle of a lake or their boat from the middle of the lake to the land or even, you know, calm the wind, calm the storm? Um, but let's think about, let's just take a moment, think about the setting before that takes place. Again, the context, uh, the setting is really important here. Jesus showed us in the previous scene that the crowds were ready to take Jesus by force and make him king. All right? They were ready to make Jesus the king. But listen, right here, all right? When Jesus walked on the water, when he calmed the winds, when he transported their boat immediately to the shore, listen, he showed his disciples that he is not just Lord over Israel. He is Lord over the entire earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Lord over the, the laws of nature. All right? Water What's water? <laughs> you know, we're going to sink in water, but he showed us that he is Lord even over the laws of nature. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, listen, is so much greater than we try to make him to be. He is the son of the almighty God. He has no limit. How foolish is of us sometimes that we try to put a limit on what Jesus can do right? We try to put him in a box. We try to domesticate him, try to make him for us in all our causes, right? But he created the world and he showed his disciples that he stands alone in power and greatness. Listen, the wind, the waves, even the laws of physics cannot master Jesus. He is unlike any other man to walk in the face of the earth. He is unlike any other king to ever rule this earth. He is truly above it all. The crowd of people after feeding the 5,000 wanted to make Jesus king and put him on an earthly throne and in an earthly temple. But listen to what Isaiah 
says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? Listen, to try to do what the crowds did by attempting to force Jesus to be an earthly king is foolish. They misunderstood him. And listen, they not only misunderstood him, but they mis, they, they underestimated him. They misunderestimated Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Heaven in his throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And listen to this. With the disciples' uh, perspective, if the disciples were going to give everything to follow Jesus and share his message to the ends of the earth, then they needed to see him much bigger than the king of Israel. And the same for true for us. It's the same for us. If we, the greater that we see Jesus, the smaller our fears and doubts are when given the choice to follow him. The greater that we see Jesus. Um, there's one last point I want to make before our response this morning. One last point. Up until this time, the disciples had seen Jesus perform just numerous amounts of miracles, right? The, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of several individuals, turning water into wine. Um, listen, but this miracle was different. It was truly different up until this point. Because this miracle was for them. This miracle was for the disciples, specifically. Jesus walked on the water to rescue his disciples. He did it for them. All right? Think about it from their perspective. I believe that this not only opened up their eyes, but opened up their hearts to, to see who Jesus truly is. Not, he's not just some far-out cosmic figure with all power, but he's the one that came down to rescue them. He's the one that comes down to rescue us. Jesus is not only the king of all heaven and earth, but he's the one who looks after us and rescues us. He's the one that rescues us. Just a few years ago, four adults and four children were rescued by a helicopter after their boat sank rapidly through rough waters off of Hawaii. They were traveling from the island of, let's just call it one of the islands because I can't pronounce it, to another island. Imagine that. When the rough seas started filling their 21-foot vessel with water, it got scary really fast, they said, where waves were breaking over the bow when it happened really quick. Crew member Jeff um, Kovalich said, before we knew too much water was in the boat and we couldn't steer very well or maneuver. And so the crew detached three kayaks, started making calls on their cell phones and activated a distress beacon that alerted a helicopter rescue crews on land. And so a helicopter ended up later picking up the stranded group from the rough waters. And luckily, all eight people were rescued and escaped injury. During that time, they also fired up 
a GoPro, a GoPro camera and captured the whole uh, dramatic rescue on video. And so it's actually on social media. It was on, it's on the internet. But if you were to watch that video, one of the crew members, one of the group members, 14-year-old Mark Reeves, he captured the rescue on his camera. And then the video, you can actually hear the group saying something as they're being rescued. This is what they said. We're getting rescued. We're going to live. And you can just hear their joy as the helicopter flies by and they know they're going to make it. They know they're being rescued. They said, we're getting rescued. We are going to live. That's exactly what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He rescued us. He came down from heaven to rescue us, to save us from certain destruction, from certain death that sin was bringing upon us. The King of kings and the Lord of lords rescued you and I. He saw us from the heights of heaven. He saw us in our hopeless state, battling the storms of sin and the enemy. So he came down. He stepped into the storm. He called out to us. And he rescued us. He brought us out of our predicament and into his presence and into his peace. You know, the truth really hits differently when you know he did all of that to rescue me, to rescue you. It really hits us differently when you know everything that Jesus did on this earth was to save us, was to rescue us. He did it all for us. I want to end today at looking at the response. And so I want to invite the worship team up here at this time. What was their response to that? Knowing that Jesus came down from the mountain, walked on the water in the middle of a raging windstorm and saved them and rescued them from certain death. What was their response to that? And what is our response? First thing we see is that they desired his presence. When they knew that it was Jesus, when they knew that it wasn't a ghost that was walking on the water, when they suddenly came to their senses and heard his voice, it is I, they were eager to let him onto the boat. They desired his presence. Might sound simple, but listen, they desired him. They wanted him. They invited him. They were delighted to have him come aboard their boat. Listen, are you eager for the presence of God? Do you desire for him to be with you throughout the day? Are you seeking after his presence throughout your day? Do you desire, are you, do you desire his presence? Do we truly understand that Jesus' presence brings us peace? Do we understand that brings us comfort And he brings us deliverance. You know, his power and his presence can do so much more than we could ever accomplish. His presence can do so much more than we can do. Uh, The disciples were eager for Jesus to get onto that boat. They knew that he could rescue them and help them in their time of need. So again, how much do you long for his presence? How much do you long to be with Jesus? That's the first point. And so before we get to the second point, before we move on, I feel like there might be some of us today that after hearing this, 
hearing that Jesus is the one that, that rescues us. Jesus is the one that comes down from heaven to save us from certain destruction uh, that sin caused, that separation from God caused. And you're wondering, maybe, maybe you haven't um, des- ever desired to be in God's presence. You've never invited him to be in your life. So I just want to invite you guys to stand up for us this moment. And as we have our our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this is just a response time, even before we get to the second point. Listen, they were so terrified, the disciples. They were so uh, distraught. But when Jesus came on the scene, they realized that's the one that can rescue us. I've got to have him on my boat. I got to have his presence. He's the one that can get me out of this. He's the one that can save me. If that's you this morning, you feel like you've never reached out to Jesus before to ask you to save, to ask him to save you, to invite him into your life. While everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. All right. The second response is this. You can, have, you can have your eyes back open. <laughs> the second response is this. They worshiped Jesus. They worshiped him. And they proclaimed this. You really are the son of God. Their response right after witnessing Jesus walk on the water, calming the winds and being rescued was that they worshiped him. They worshiped him. And listen, while they were still in the boat, they worshiped him. They gave him praise and thanks. I don't know about you, but that just is different for me, okay? That response while they're still in the boat is just different response. Because I don't know about you, if you've been in a boat for a long time, and you're fighting for your life, and you don't think you're going to make it, you want to get to the land as soon as possible, right? You're going to fight to get to the land. But, but while they were still in the boat, they didn't wait to get on the land. While they're soaking wet, they're worshiping the one that saved them, the one that delivered them from the storm. Guys, that's our response. That's our natural response. And being Jews, listen, being Jews, that was a huge step in their journey of faith to say that this man, Jesus, was the Son of God. Because after knowing that Jesus had come down from the mountain, he'd walk miles through the wind and the waves after he'd calmed the sea just to rescue them. Look, guys, that took away any doubt, any doubt that they'd ever had in their minds that this truly is the Son of God. And their worship, listen, their worship wasn't just singing. It wasn't what we think worship is. Their worship was a proclamation saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that what we do when we worship? Isn't that what we do when we sing? We're proclaiming who He is. David Platt says this, if we believe Jesus is a good man, 
who only did good things for us, then we will honor him as we honor good men who do things for us. But if we believe Jesus is the majestic, glorious, universal king over all creation, then that belief will be evident in the way that we sing to him, in the way that we pray to him, in the way that we worship him. Isn't that what worship is? We're saying, Jesus, you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You're the Son of God. You're the one who is my deliverer. You're the one who's rescued me. You're the one that's brought me from death to life. We proclaim who he is and what he's done for us. And so that's what our response is gonna be this morning. Our worship, our praise to the one who rescued us this morning.